Welcome to Life, Death, and the Law, presented by the law firm of Deason, Garner, and Hanson, hosted by attorneys Sean Garner and Adam Hanson. Welcome to another edition of Life, Death, and the Law. I'm Sean Garner. I'm in studio here with Adam Hanson and Cody Beeson. We are attorneys with the law firm of Deason, Garner, and Hanson. We do estate planning. In fact, we've done over 10,000 estate plans for the members of the Yuma community, as well as those who visit during the wintertime from the colder climates. And so we focus on planning that works nationwide. However, on this show, we talk about something a little bit more exciting than just disability and dying. We talk about politics, which we are wholly unqualified to do so, but we do it anyway. And we have a little bit of fun doing it. And this morning, I want to talk about the concept or um, what you feel just your perception of control is in the circumstances that you face on everyday life. So, Adam, Cody, let's go around the table. How do you feel about your ability to control your circumstances? I feel like... Uh, personally, I feel like I can control my circumstances to a certain extent until I run into government interference that limits that to a certain ability. Um, what I mean by that is licensing and things like that that didn't always be in place, right, over the course of time. And over the course of time, our government, whether that's on the state level or the federal level, have implemented regulations and licensing requirements, which you could see as detrimental to the growth of a business or uh, commerce. Um, personally, I believe that the system, when I say system, the, the legal system has a way of fleshing out bad actors. If, if I were a company and I'm creating a product that you're using and that product hurts you, you have a remedy and that is through a court process of suing me and then going for damages. And you can't, you cannot, um, you can't send a company to the, to the electric chair because it's a entity, but you can penalize it monetarily, which is essentially doing the same thing as killing it with the electric chair. And that has been done in the past. Yeah, that's a really interesting segue, and I don't want to get too far off on this question, but so um, when I asked the question in your circumstances, it seems like you immediately assumed your financial and legal circumstances. Yeah. Is that right? Is that not what you meant? Well, it was an open-ended question. I wanted to see where you'd go with it. So, Cody, what about you? What do you think about your your circumstances? Are you able to control your circumstances and what happens in your life? I I think so in some degree, and I think part of life is figuring out how to do that and and live a a happy life that you can call your own shots. But when you're – it's so interesting you brought this uh, subject up because – I'm currently like dealing with something with government in the sense that, uh, long story short, we're replacing a leech line on a septic system. And that being said, you know there's a permit involved Yeah. Well, on the on this whole thing. I like, actually do because I'm doing the same thing. But the thing is, it's already been there. Oh, like, okay. So we're paying the government for something on our land that really they have no no other jurisdiction over. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's just this weird thing that you have to, you have to ask yourself, does government, how far in our lives do they belong? Okay. When you do something privately on your own land that does not touch them, okay, yeah, they still belong in there, I guess. So um, we we talked about the government intervention. We talked about how we can move forward with legal issues and maybe even financial issues. I think that Adam, you alluded to the fact that you have a little bit of control over your financial issues to the extent that the government doesn't interfere. What about other things like bigger things? Um, your relationships, your health, 
and, yeah. and, and, and things like that. Health did come up, you know, once you, you posed the question or you, you retorted, I, the, the other thing that came to mind was health. Do you really have control of your health? You do to a certain extent, but you can't control certain aspects. You, you, you might have a debilitating disease or you might, uh, you know, contract something and you can't necessarily control all those circumstances. You can do the best that you can, you know, um, the government can impose things like face masks and, and other mandates like that. Is that going to ultimately keep you healthy? No, probably not. It just comes down to that individual's choice of washing their hands correctly or uh, exercising on a daily basis, making sure their body is fit, you know, and you can run a mile or you can walk a mile or something without getting, um, you know, huffing and puffing. But that doesn't mean that just because you're a runner and you run a marathons that you don't collapse from a heart attack, you know, things happen. So you can control things to a certain extent, but not all the way is the way I'd ask, answer that question. What do you think, Cody? What was the question? So (laughs) generally in purposes of, you know, health and well-being. Yes. How, how much control do you have over your circumstances? I, I like to think all of it, right? But we know we don't. If you want to still operate in our society. For example, like I have a friend. He, uh, he had 19 years on at the San Diego Police Department. Mm-hmm. He wants his retirement. So he was forced to take the vaccine. Now, he didn't really have control over his own health at that point. I mean, uh-huh. I, you, you do if you don't want your pension. But at a certain point, you have so much built up, you, you kind of you're in a corner. So I'd like to think we do have our own, you know, ability to make our decisions, but to some degree that's been removed from us, you know, if, if you want to operate in, in their world. You know, it's interesting, and, and I think it's because we both or all three of us focus so much on how government um, intervenes in our lives on a daily basis that it's been alluded to how much control do we have on the decisions that we make about our health. But really I'm asking the broader question, and I just wanted to see where you'd go with it, about our health in general. For example, Steve Jobs, right? Yeah. Steve Jobs had all the money in the world, had potential to earn much more, you know, multiples more of the the massive amount of wealth that he accumulated in his short life. He died at 56. So with all that wealth and plus all the connections that he had and he had a fantastic mind and, of course, he developed computers and things that aimed to solve problems, he couldn't solve the problem of his own health. And so although he could make decisions regarding day-to-day health, he could run, he could eat well, he could do whatever, ultimately the stars aligned or misaligned, however you want to look at it, and then he passed away at 56. I, My understanding was, I don't know the whole history there, but I was under the impression that he get, he was given medical counsel, mm-hmm. and he didn't take it. Okay. For pancreatic cancer? Yeah, like, you know, there were things you can do, chemotherapies yeah. and things like that, and he refused to do that. Yeah, but he tried to do some other stuff. Pancreatic cancer is one of the most deadly forms of cancer. And so he may have weighed the pros and cons of extending his life a few months or years yeah. in a hospital or living it out more fully in society and just letting, you know, trying to get the most out of life while he could. I don't know. I'm just assuming that. I've known several people in that situation. In fact, we're in that business. We see people make those decisions every day where they get diagnosed with cancer. In fact, 
a diagnosis of um, a terminal illness is often a reason that people come into us and discuss their estate planning. So um, I bring this up because I, I was diagnosed with a rare disease back uh, 12 years ago, and it's called Perry-Romberg syndrome, and it's a disease where it causes the wasting away generally of one side of your face. And so I looked it up, and it, it's incurable. And there's actually no method for treating it. It's this neurological disease where your nerves um, just they die away. And then as a result, the, the facial tissue atrophies until it becomes skeletal. And, and there's a whole bunch of degrees of severity. So that was something that I was facing, and it's just rare disease. It, nobody knows what causes it, and nobody knows how to treat it. I went out very proactively, and I sought medical um, intervention, and I got surgeries. I got had about 10 surgeries in the course of six years to have facial reconstruction. And um, due to the miracle of modern medicine, I'm able to move that side of my face still and look somewhat normal. And the first thing that came to mind is attending my kids' games and being that parent that stood out that, oh, your dad's the one that looks like, you know, the guy that got his face burnt off. And so the remedy that a lot of the doctors were suggesting was to go to support groups, other people that have faced this illness and, and dealt with the social stigma that, that goes along with having your face look very awkward. And that just made me more depressed. So I actually went proactively to people that were pioneering um, methods in this 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 type of disease and and trying new things i figure out i'm gonna go down swinging on this one and it worked out really well and in my case um so compare and contrast that i was attending my daughter's volleyball game and she has been playing volleyball for three years now and she's really good of course i'm biased but she's really good and um i would say she's easily top five in um, her team, and I don't think that's exaggerated at all. Now, there's a six-player, you know, roundup on the floor when they're playing, and she never gets to serve. Like, they rotate her out every single time, and it, it really bothers me, and it shouldn't because it's the coach's decision. Coaches see things that I don't see. I'm not really experienced in the techniques of, you know, volleyball, you know, how they line them up in the structure. But um, I know that she serves well. I, I, I see her at practice. I practice with her. She serves fantastic. Um, when she did serve, she was serving at a rate of 90%, and so she was getting them in. And um, I was thinking of all the scenarios, and it keeps me up at night. What could I do to influence? And I've tried to talk to the coach, and it just kind of hit a brick wall. And I've talked to my daughter, and it just depresses her because she knows that she's not getting put in. And I said, can you talk to your coach? Can you do this? Can you do that? And she's like, Dad, I'm trying. You don't think I want to serve? And so I think of all the things of what I could do to influence that. And the, the conclusion that I've come to each night, generally you know, 11, 12 o'clock when I'm laying in bed, is nothing. I really don't have any control over this circumstance. I can yell and scream and make myself a big jackass, you know, either on the stands or on social media or text or even in the coach's face. But I'm really probably not going to make a whole bunch of difference. And I'm a person that I'm somewhat educated. You know, I've got a law degree. I've got a, um, a successful law business. But 
I really don't have any control. And if I don't have control over the playing time that my daughter on JV volleyball has, what control do I have in life in general, especially when it comes to other things, other outside circumstances like Perry Romberg? Understand, Adam, you went through something similar with your daughter, not not in a sports sense, but with your daughter um, having dilemmas at school. Yeah, I mean, this happens to all of us. I'm sure your kids, well, maybe not, maybe maybe not, but uh, most kids. I think one of, one of my daughters was being bullied this past week in one of her classes, and it got to the point where um, she was crying about it after that class. And so when my wife went to go pick them up <clears throat> from school, and she was in tears. She explained the situation that she was, you know, the other girls were uh, making fun of her and saying mean things to her. Like, so is it something awkward that your daughter does, or what? What caused them? To, what do they say? What do they do to your daughter? The, my understanding was that uh, she she was recently moved into this math class, and and she was put at a table with six other kids. Three of those kids are are girls that are in a are friends, and those girls there was free time at the end of class and. And so they were just pointing out kids around the class about who, you know, who was basically their friend or wasn't their friend or they didn't like them for some reason. And so they got to their table and and they said, my daughter, my daughter, oh, she she's a pig. And uh, you should just kill yourself. Your daughter within her earshot and called her a pig. Yeah. And and so I asked, well, why would they, you know, you don't even she doesn't even know who these girls are. She just got in that class. Your daughter's gorgeous, by the way. And she, um, she just said, well, I think it's because last Friday they, they talk a lot and it's kind of annoying, you know, cause they're talking all the time and it's really disruptive when I'm trying to do my work. And so she said, she asked them to be quiet last Friday while she was working. And she's like, I think that's probably why, but, um, other than that, she doesn't interact with them is what she says. So anyway, uh, she tells this story to my wife and my wife went a little mama bear and that's Okay. But she called me right after this experience because she was super worried. And she's like, I don't know, you know, if I did the right thing. So what she did was after school, my kids went to the pickup area where my wife was to pick them up and she and my daughter was crying. So she tells my wife what happened. And she's like, my wife says, well, who was it? You know, do we know this girl first and foremost or these girls? And and no, but there she is. She's right over there. She was getting an ice cream or something like that from the little ice cream this girl stand. that calls your daughter's big standing in line for ice cream. That, there's a little irony there, right? <laughs> so anyway, my my the thing that set my wife off was not so much the pig comment. I mean, girls make mean comments all the time to each other, but it was the you should just go kill yourself. That that was a little too. Wait, far. wait, wait! You, you kind of brushed over that. What did you hear that, Cody? Uh, the first slightly, time? yeah. Okay, so she called her a pig, and then says what you should go kill yourself yeah so that that was the thing that set my wife off you know uh, yeah people i think i think, I think so i yeah. think just on an objective level that's not okay so my wife got out of the car and she went over to the girl and she confronts her and she says hey what what are you saying to my daughter you know kind of thing and she says that she didn't get upset she didn't raise her voice she didn't use foul language she doesn't use foul language and um this girl got really defensive and started cussing and, and, and yelling back. And my wife's like, listen, you need to stand up for if, if somebody, she's like, I didn't say anything. I didn't, you know, and started using foul language and things like that. And she's like, okay, okay. Maybe it wasn't you, but your friends was saying it, or you said stuff and your friends said, 
And anyway, she's just, you know, giving her a stern talking to like a parent should or would. And uh, she didn't yell at her. She didn't do anything like that. There's a group of other older girls that overheard all this and like, oh, you yelling at my wife. Oh, you shouldn't be telling, don't talk to her like that. Don't, you shouldn't be talking, you know, yelling at my wife and, and like, you need to talk to the parents. And my wife's like, yeah, I, I'm going to talk to the parents, but you can't talk to people like that kind of thing, you know? And so anyway, the whole thing happens. And then by the end of it, this little girl was crying and my wife um, apologized and, and uh, gave her a hug and, and that was it. And then another parent comes over and just to see, you know, what's, what's going on. And my wife explained the situation a little bit and, and they're like, okay, yep. And then everybody parts ways. And so my wife gets a call the next day by an officer because, uh, you know, parents are involved now and called to school, want to know what's going on. First of all, it wasn't on school campus. It was off campus in the pickup area. And secondly, as I've heard all the stories and all the all this stuff, I'm like, putting it all together. And at first I was like, okay, maybe you did go a little overboard, but after hearing it all, I'm thinking, no, I, I think this was a good learning opportunity for everybody. And I don't think it's a bad thing for another parent to step in and intervene and let another kid know that is not okay to say and call them out for that. If nobody else is going to do it, then they're going to continue to do that. I would prefer that my daughter take care of the, the issue herself. I, 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 would much prefer that. And that's why I told my wife, I said, I, you don't need to be worried about anything. You gave her a hug, you apologized and um, she'll probably never do that again. Right. Hopefully. Or maybe she goes crazy and, and does it even more. Yeah. I would hope not. Yeah. But uses your daughter as just like the example. No, even though she doesn't say anything mean, she could say, Oh, she's the one that's going to tattletale because you know, she can't take care of herself. She yeah. Could. Ho- hopefully she'll see the errors of her ways and, and, and I'm not the arbiter of truth on this. I mean, my what I my perspective on a situation like this is let the kids handle it. And there's only two ways you can handle it. One is you fight. Let's fight it out. That's school school rules. Like the rules of the playground are if you're going to come at me and be a bully to me, then the only way to address that issue is we're going to duke it out. Mm-hmm. Good old fashioned duke it out. There is going to be a winner and a loser from that. And that gets the problem solved. And I wish that happened more. I really do, because that gets the problem solved. That's the first option. Second option is uh, that you you come back with you know a smart witted retort, or you you make a fool of that person that is trying to bully you. So those are two options that that I would I would say is the remedy. But my or, daughter has to do that, or or be silent, you know, and just take the punishment. I mean, so you're talking about... You- yeah, well, yeah, that's that's an option, but not a, a real option for me. If you want the bullying to stop, you have to do something about it. No, 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 I understand, but kids... You sock them in the face. Ki- kids, generally, when they face those circumstances, they can they can either lash out either verbally or physically or and address the issue head on and, and, and you know, confront the bully, or they can just kind of sulk down into the shadows and into the corner and and try to put up this shell and and just endure it. Yeah, my 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 perspective is and, and like I said, I am not the arbiter of truth on this type of a matter, but what I would what I've seen in my own life and being in those situations is if you do not stand up for yourself then it will continue to 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 um happen, mm-hmm. maybe not from that person, but you will be known as a weak individual that can be bullied yeah. unless you stand up for you. But it has to come from that kid. That kid has to stand up for themselves or else it'll continue to happen. 
Yeah. We got to go to break. This is life, death, and the law. Coming up, more thought-provoking conversations on life, death, and the law right after this. Hey, you, my Dave Ramsey here. If you listen to our show or know anything about us, then you know I only recommend products and services I trust and I believe in. That's why when it comes to protecting your assets and planning for your loved one's future, you've got to call my friends Sean Garner and Adam Hansen at the law firm of Deason, Garner, and Hansen. I encourage you to take the first step and attend a free, no-pressure seminar and learn all of your options. The firm of Deason, Garner, Garner and Hansen has been educating the Yuma community for over 40 years, and this is the only area of law that they practice. Sean and Adam believe in giving free education to help people make smart decisions about their assets and help them leave a legacy for their family that they can be proud of. Schedule a free personal consultation today. Call 783-4575 or visit yumaestateplanning.com. You're listening to Life, Death, and the Law, presented by Deason, Garner, and Hanson, the law firm that has been voted Yuma's best six years in a row. Welcome back to Life, Death, and the Law. We're talking about what control we have as humans, as individuals, over our circumstances. Of course, there's a lot of different um, directions we can go with this. What I was actually thinking about in general is what happens to us during our sojourn here on Earth and what control do we have over it? For example, we could jump in the car, we could be obeying all the speed limits, we could be using our blinkers, somebody could run the red light, smash into us, or a, a car could just m- malfunction, right? Our car could stop running and somebody rear-end us. I know a family that uh, their car broke down on the side of the road. And uh, so they're outside the car, they're waiting for some support, and a I don't know if they were drunk or why, but another car slammed into them and changed the projection of this family's life forever. Um, They were all very seriously injured. Some never totally recovered. And some had physical injuries. Others had traumatic brain injuries. And so they were unable to literally function in society and in the workforce for the rest of their lives. So that is something that is totally outside of our control. And, And... I think we all, if, if we sit down and think about it, we understand that. However, as human beings, we want to control our circumstances. We want to be able to wake up in the morning and say, if I work out, I'm going to be healthy. I'm not going to get pancreatic cancer and die at 56. Um, if I drive and I obey the speed limits, I'm going to be safe and get to my destination. I'm not going to get, my car's not going to break down and get slammed into and have traumatic brain injury. But the reality is circumstances are outside of our control all the time, and all we can control is how we react to them. And in fact, that's what I believe we're being, the whole purpose of us being here on earth is to determine our reaction and how we address those tough situations that come up in everybody's life. And everybody is going to be different. Cody, I know that you've got your own life issues I don't know what they are, and I'm not like I'm not projecting on you. Right, right, right. <laughs> but Adam, you've got your issues. I've got mine, and um, we want to be able to control them. And to a certain extent, we can control the likelihood of financial success by looking at the careers that produce that type of success and 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 the education and circumstances. 
but in the grand scheme of things, life is going to happen to us, and how we come out of this and how we're judged eventually, most of us out there believe in a life after death, that, that we aren't just here to exist right now, and when we die, that's it. We cease to exist whatsoever, that there is a supreme God out there, and we are going to be judged, and we are going to have eternal blessings or consequences depending on how we reacted to those consequences, not how well we were favored or potentially disfavored in life. And so bringing this all together, I was just browsing through um, the, the events that are concerning to people in the world and what is the popular belief for the top threats to civilization here on earth. And when I typed that in, the thing that came up by far the most was climate change. (laughs) That was the existential threat that is going to extinguish life as we know it on this earth. And I was thinking about that because I've done a little bit of research on climate change, not nearly as much as some of the people that I follow, but um, I've done some research on it. And If the United States stopped burning coal, stopped burning natural gas, stopped burning oil, in the next hundred years, and and we were at net zero for the next hundred years, we would be able to reduce the temperature by one degree, one to two degrees. That's not enough. And And that's the United States. And in doing so, the United States would have to give up its role as the economic leader of the world and therefore would have very little to no say in the policies that go on in the world. And we are a vast minority as far as population in the world, so these other huge countries like India and China that don't adopt these same policies and would have a greater effect, they, their government and their, their organizations would have a, a bigger inf- impact on the world. So overall, even if we gave up and said, hey, that's it. We're going to do everything we can to climate change. We're going to go back to how we lived in the mid-1800s, and we're going to plow our own fields. We're going to weave our own clothes. We're going to go without shoes, or we're going to hunt for animals and because we can't have cattle, right, And because that's contributing to climate change. So we're going to hunt and try to put some leather stockings on our feet. Then um, if we did all of that, then we're going to turn over the world policy to other actors who are unwilling to do that, and um, we're, we're, st- we're going to be in a worse off c- circumstance than we are now. And I'm like, that's not an option. That's not an option at all. Plus, it would require the cooperation of millions upon millions of people to do it. It can't just be a few politicians that do it because, of course, the, the people are going to revolt if, if our lifestyle goes down dramatically, right, and, and we don't enjoy the luxuries that we have today. So what do we have control over, and what are some threats? I think of other things out there like nuclear threats. That was something that I grew up in in the 80s thinking about because we had this war, this Cold War with uh, the Soviet Union at the time, and and we thought, well, anybody could push the button, and we'd be in this nuclear holocaust. And you think about that, the amount of people that have control over that circumstance right there, Again, it's not me, and it's not you, it's not us that have control over it, but what are we thinking about, and where are we putting our time and energy? How many people do you think could make the decision that would put us into 
a nuclear war? A handful. I mean, we, we've been talking about it with Ukraine and, and Russia. It's a possibility, you know. Yeah. I mean, if we're just to, off the top of our head, is it more than a dozen? I don't think so. I mean, it depends on the... If you're talking about uh, communist countries involved about, in there. I'm talking about the world. China, China, Russia, Venezuela, Putin, Cuba. If Putin says, listen, I want to go out with a bang. Everybody knows that Putin is dealing with some health issues. And if he decides that his legacy wants to be to try to show this force and demonstrate how powerful Russia can be and, and use all the force that he has to, to bring his country back into the prominence that he believes it should be and that's the right way to do it, I think he could create a nuclear war. I think single-handedly Putin could do it. Um, Xi Jinping, did, could he do it? A hundred percent, yeah. Right? North Korea. North Korea, yeah. yeah. Kim so, Jong-il, could he do it? So we've, we've named three people right there. Um, Joe Biden or the puppet masters of Joe Biden, could they do it? I don't know how many puppet masters there are, so that number's hard to nail down. But could they do it? Yes is the answer, right? He technically has the codes, the nuclear codes, to launch it. So we're worried about this. And are we talking enough about the circumstances that are pushing us closer and closer to this potential nuclear holocaust? That would, we know for a fact how many lives that can take in an instant because we've seen it. We've seen it on a very small scale, um, on today's meters, right, with Hiroshima and Nagasaki, we have bombs that are thousands of times more powerful than that. And not only do we have them, but we have them in multiples of hundreds and thousands, and we have them strategic, and we have them tactical, and we have them where they can blow up above um, the atmosphere is where it cancels out all electronics. And so now your banking system has collapsed. And if your banking system collapsed, then your food and all trade collapses. And that's a big, big deal. But it seems to be that when I drive my SUV and fill it up, that's when I'm actually contributing to the downfall of civilization here on Earth. And I think we've got our priorities backwards. And that's what I'm trying to point out today, that number one, we can't control a lot of circumstances that happen to us. But those circumstances that we can, for example, how much effort we put into school, how kind we are to our neighbors, whether or not we're going to um, stand up to a bully, that we can control. And we can also control you know, whether or not we support a war, a proxy war between the United States and Russia via Ukraine that is pushing us closer and closer to this nuclear holocaust. And why is that not the, the reason people are lining up across freeways and highways to say, stop this war, stop pushing us closer to a nuclear holocaust instead of stop burning fossil fuels and stop enjoying um, the lifestyle that you have and stop the progression of the decline in climate-related deaths. Because we know, of all the things that are related to climate, the amount of deaths that are related to climate events have declined by 98% in the past 100 to 120 years. 98%. That's a statistic. Every other statistic out there about how much CO2 is contributing to global warming and how much um, it's actually going to decrease the... Um, livability of the earth 
in the next 50 to 100 years, those are all theories. We know for a fact that certain things will result in death and destruction, but we're not doing anything to those actual facts. So we got to take a break here. We're going to come back. We're going to talk a little bit about what we can do to actually make our lives happier and the lives around us better and plan for our future. Because that's what we do. We do estate planning, but uh, let's plan for society. Coming up, more thought-provoking conversations on life, death, and the law right after this. Hey, you, my Dave Ramsey here. If you listen to our show or know anything about us, then you know I only recommend products and services I trust and I believe in. That's why when it comes to protecting your assets and planning for your loved one's future, you've got to call my friends Sean Garner and Adam Hansen at the law firm of Deason, Garner, and Hansen. I encourage you to take the first step and attend a free, no-pressure seminar and learn all of your options. The firm of Deason, Garner, and Hansen has been educating the Yuma community for over 40 years, and this is the only area of law that they practice. Sean and Adam believe in giving free education to help people make smart decisions about their assets and help them leave a legacy for their family that they can be proud of. Schedule a free personal consultation today. Call 783-4575 or visit yumaestateplanning.com. You're listening to Life, Death, and the Law, presented by Deason, Garner, and Hanson, the law firm that has been voted Yuma's best six years in a row. Welcome back to Life, Death, and the Law. We are talking about uh, our circumstances and how much control we have over our circumstances and whether it is the control over our circumstances that we're really aiming to achieve or how we react to our circumstances that occur to us, things, events in life that occur. Adam? In the last segment, you brought up the social contagion of climate change, this climate change religion. And your argument is that, and we've heard this before and we've actually advocated for this argument, even if the U.S. were not to, or the, the, even if the U.S. were to implement all of these far-reaching Green New Deal things that are proposed, it will not have an effect on the world as a whole when it comes to climate initiatives. Is that what I hear you to say? Yeah, absolutely. If if UK so why do it? And and the United States both agreed to stop burning all fossil fuels. They it's it's generally confirmed, and this is based on all the climate models that are put out by the UN, we would reduce the total anticipated increase in temperature by between one and two degrees. And we would not have an impact. It would be between a 20 and 22 percent impact overall on climate change. And that's not enough. So what came to mind was a conversation you and I have had in the past about the Revolutionary War and the effects that that had on slavery across the world. Yes. It's very well known that even in the United States, there were slaves fighting in the, the Revolutionary War, right? At the end of that, and everybody parted ways, England went back to England, and, and the U.S. continued on. Lafayette from France went back to France. He constantly advocated to General Washington the idea of abolishing slavery. What was Washington's response to that? He said that the society at the time was not in a position that they would accept that, that if he were to implement that, 
that the individuals that were in his um, custody, that were under his control and under his stewardship, would be worse off because society was not ready to receive them generally as productive members of the society. And so that was his argument, that he agreed with the concept, but that the circumstances in which they lived in at the time were not... um, were not those that, that, that would allow that to occur and, and be successful. And Lafayette disagreed and tried to implement it and actually demonstrated that that was true because he actually freed his slaves and he actually made a colony for them and gave them ownership over property and allowed them to um, produce on their own. And on a very micro level, it was successful. But overall, um, the government, including Napoleon, um, they reappropriated those slaves and took over his property and the institution continued. Why was Lafayette so adamant that Washington implement this in the U.S.? Or Franklin? You know, he tried to convince Ben Franklin as well. Well, Franklin didn't own slaves, but it was um, it was Thomas Jefferson, sorry. Yeah, Jefferson, Franklin, all those founders, Lafayette was advocating for this idea. Yes, he was. Why? Why, Why was he so... He went back to France for a while and he tried to implement this. Why did he care if the people over in America abolished slavery? What, well, he was an idealist, and, and frankly, I agree with his ideals. Um, he was ahead of his time, and I, I wish that the society was ready for it. I wish society would have transformed the way that he did because he saw things not from how they are but how they should be, and he implemented and he lived his life on how they should be. And if more of us did that, then we could create a better society quicker. But there are those who understand that some social norms take time to be implemented. So what Washington and Jefferson and Franklin and all those founding fathers did is they created um, a constitution that allowed for the eventual abolition of slavery without destroying the country. Because what happened in France was Lafayette actually lost all political power because he was he refused to align with the political norms of the day. And so then he was an outcast, and he lost all political power, where he is truly the hero of two worlds, where he, he instituted or assisted in the institution of free democratic government here in the United States, he tried to do the same in France, but he he refused alliances with the powers that be, and then became an outcast and spent a lot of time. I believe it was in a Hungarian prison. My my question though is why did he why did he advocate to Washington so hard to do this? What did he see in Washington that would make a difference anywhere? Well, he knew that Washington was a moral and um, humanistic individual. He he saw humans and individuals as having God-given rights that were endowed upon them that should be honored. Was slavery happening in other places other than France and... and Everywhere in the world. United States? Slavery was an institution that has been around since human history has been around, and it's, it's been happening and had been happening everywhere in the world. And so Washington was making a huge point to the world that a democratic... Um, republic, and it's honestly a constitutional republic, could succeed, that a government that was run by the people could actually succeed instead of a monarchy, which had been the norm for the past 
couple thousand years. And so he was, he was focusing on that change, and, and, he, and he lit the fire for the rest of the world for that change. But the other, he felt that it would, it would be too much, and it would probably diminish his ability to present the power that he was trying to do for the people to institute their own form of government. So using history as a model here, we had this social issue that was presented, the social issue of was slavery a correct thing? Were some humans um, naturally born higher than others in status? And it was a, an idea, a social idea that Lafayette presented as, that's not right, we need to alter that in history. And what I hear Washington counter that with was, you're right, but there is no, we cannot do this on a world scale. We're not going to be able to do it. It's not the time for this. So you, you take that social historical reference and you now put that model onto climate change, which is another social movement. This is the counter argument to what you're saying. Well, India, South America, uh, China, it doesn't matter what the U.S. or the, what England does in the climate realm uh, with climate change because it's really not going to have an effect or uh, bring, bring these models within the metrics that they need to be in in order to satisfy these climate change individuals. So don't do it at all. So if you use Lafayette's reasoning here is America is a beacon of light for the rest of the world. And if we do it and implement these things here, it'll have a social effect across the whole world, I think is a counter argument to what you're talking about. So is that true or is it, is that not the case? So yeah, if we implemented right now the policies of climate change that all of the you know the Green New Deal wants to implement, what we will do is we will give up our seat of power. We will do what Lafayette did in France. Lafayette ultimately did not change the government in France. There were several revolutions and counter-revolutions, but Lafayette, although he was an actor in it, he became less and less influential until ultimately he barely survived being exiled and, and held in a Hungarian prison. So if this time is not right for the U.S. to engage in something like that, dramatic, dramatic Green New Deal changes, when is the right time? Well, I think, number one, everybody needs to advocate for their own personal um, beliefs and, and moral standards. And if, if climate is your belief and your moral standard, which really translates into your religion, and I believe that religion had to do a lot with slavery too. You know, um, we, Uncle Tom's Cabin, you read that book and, and try to separate religious beliefs from um, abolition and good luck. If you do, you're, you're really lying to yourself because it had everything to do with true Christianity and treating fellow men as our equal. And um, so I think that climate activists ought to act specifically what they believe. And, and that's the hypocrisy in all of this. Because, for example, it's as if a slave owner is going out there and saying, everybody else out there needs not to own slaves, but I need to own slaves because I'm important, I'm rich and wealthy or politically successful, and slaves make my lifestyle necessary for me to implement the policies that, that I have, which are on this higher level than typical standards out there. And so I need to have slaves, but the rest of you need to free your slaves. We'd all look at that individual and say, you're a hypocrite, right? If you really believe in the abolition of slavery, free your slaves. 
And uh, many people did that. And, and, you know, obviously Abraham Lincoln, who is one of the greatest heroes for abolition, he never owned slaves and he fought against slavery. Um, but you look at these climate activists, how many of them don't use fossil fuels? How many of them live on farms where they generate their own food without the assistance of energy, right? Or they, they don't go to grocery stores and have any purchase the food that is generated by tractors that are powered by diesel fuel. Even if it's organic f- food and even if it's vegan food, it's all generated by energy that is produced by fossil fuels. And so all of them are hypocrites. I haven't seen a single one, even, even you know, St. Greta, who's over there and, and saying, I'm not going to fly in a private jet to these big climate accords. She, she goes there in a sailboat. Well, what's that sailboat made out of, right? It's made out of fiberglass, and fiberglass is it's a petroleum product. It's a petroleum byproduct. You, you get rid of petroleum, and you're going, you know, paddle over there on a, a log-carved-out canoe that you've done yourself, or a ship that you've cut down a bunch of trees to create, and you sail over there, and maybe I have a little bit more um, respect for your movement. Weave all your own clothes. Don't have any plastic buttons. Don't comb your hair with a plastic comb. And then, okay, maybe you're not as hypocritical as I think you are, but I think everybody out there that says that we need to stop fossil fuels now they need to say it with their own voice and they need to be naked or having woven their own clothes by their hands with, with materials that they've grown themselves because otherwise they are contributing to the need of fossil fuels by relying on the energy resources and the byproducts of petroleum by the clothes they wear and where, how they even got to the, the climate exchange in the first place. We've got to go. This is Life, Death, and Law. We'll talk to you next week. If you have questions or want to know more about something that was discussed today, please call the law firm of Deason, Garner & Hanson at 928-783-4575 or visit yumaestateplanning.com. Hey, Yuma, Dave Ramsey here. If you listen to our show or know anything about us, then you know I only recommend products and services I trust and I believe in. That's why when it comes to protecting your assets and planning for your loved one's future, you've got to call my friends Sean Garner and Adam Hansen at the law firm of Deason, Garner, and Hansen. I encourage you to take the first step and attend a free, no-pressure seminar and learn all of your options. The firm of Deason, Garner, and Hansen has been educating the Yuma community for over 40 years, and this is the only area of law that they practice. Sean and Adam believe in giving free education to help people make smart decisions about their assets and help them leave a legacy for their family that they can be proud of. Schedule a free personal consultation today. Call 783-4575 or visit yumaestateplanning.com.